The United Soccer Coaches is proud to present the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. That's right, the NSCAA is now the United Soccer Coaches. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Start your free, no-risk trial membership today. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join today. We unite coaches at every level of the game around the passion of the game. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. Hello, everybody. I'm Dean Linky, and welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Delighted to be with you, reminding you that February through July, we go to every other week. So every two weeks, you'll hear from me and the United Soccer Coaches and, of course, our great presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Now, a couple weeks ago at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia, which, by the way, was the most attended convention in the history of the United Soccer Coaches, parentheses NSCAA, it was off the charts. Fantastic, folks. Unbelievable. Well, as part of it, I sat in the Team Snap booth and did some amazing interviews. And over the next several weeks, even months, I'll share with you some of those interviews with key players in the soccer scene. For this edition, if you don't know him, you should. His name is Jim Trecker, and he was the head of all public relations and communications for the 1994 World Cup. Long before that, he did incredible work with the New York Cosmos. He also worked in the National Football. Ball League, and he's here to tell you that soccer doesn't need to worry about the NFL. They can stand on their own, and he says that loud and proud in his interview. Jim Trecker's up first, and then how about 30 years plus at Soccer America, Mike Waitola, who was recognized with a presidential award for his great work at Soccer America during the convention. Mike Waitola will also be on this podcast. Jim Trecker and Mike Waitola. As always, I thank the great folks at United Soccer Coaches, Ashley Goodrich and the gang, and Let me just say right now, we will miss Kurt Austin, who's going back to Sporting KC. Kurt Austin, who did such a fantastic job as the Director of Communications for the United Soccer Coaches. We wish you well. We thank you for all your great work, including with this podcast. Okay, Jim Trecker, Mike Waitola, coming up after this message from Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com slash NSCAA1. This is the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap and One of the things I love about this row now going on our third year is they open the door to so many interesting people. And, boy, you think about where soccer has come and some of the people that have seen the growth of soccer back to the days when Pelé was here in the North American Soccer League. There's not that many. And then even more, there's not that many that can truly articulate what happened. But let me tell you, my guest today, Ken, his name is Jim Trecker, without question, the number one publicist for U.S. soccer ever, and he is with us. He's now the archivist and historian for the National Soccer Hall of Fame, and Jim, that's true. You've witnessed it all, and you've got more to see. 
I've witnessed a lot, I'll say that. It's a testimony, I guess, to good vitamins and an <laughs> occasional exercise routine. I've lived a long time. Um, you mentioned, mentioned Pele. It goes back even before then. Um, and the beauty of so many of the memories that I have is that I have the ability to know when there was almost no one going to games at Randall's Island. And when Ted Howard of the North American Soccer League would hand deliver in envelopes the standings of the NASL because no one covered the league, no one cared. And on up through the era of Pele and World Cups and the, and the, the just incredible uh, situation soccer finds itself in right now. It's, it's, it's just been a, a magnificent ride. Uh, and to, to think that there, there most, many people in the game today, many of the aficionados, the fans, the people who follow on TV and so forth, may not have a full understanding really of how, uh, how empty, how challenging the scene was. 40, 50 years ago. It wasn't always like this. There weren't always podcasts, and there wasn't always ESPN, and there wasn't always a lot of stuff. Uh, but it's been fun uh, uh, having a little bit of a, a, a role in seeing all the changes. Let's go on that ride with you. Tell us uh, where you were born. I think you went to that school in Ann Arbor as well, or there's some sort of affiliation with that school. But talk about uh, you know where you grew up, college, and then your first role in soccer, please. Um, I was born in Los Angeles, but that's almost a secondary, secondary note. I grew up in New England. Okay. My, uh, most of my uh, youth and uh, teen years were spent in New England, uh, which, of course, is, uh, was and still remains a fairly strong soccer hotbed in terms of participation. Uh, and I fell in love with the game very as a young teenager. Uh, I, I did, unfortunately, learn that my talents on the field weren't going to be deeply appreciated so I found other ways to be involved I became a sports writer as a as a teenager and stayed around the game like that uh, until I went to college went to college in in New York City at at Columbia and that's really where the story begins uh, for me uh, that's led me perhaps to the the chair I'm sitting in right now Columbia University um, was then, we're talking sadly 50 years ago, a, uh, a very powerful force in the New York media and the New York sports scene. Many of the executives and sports teams, most of the staff on game days and so forth, came out of the Ivy League schools. I, I don't know why that was. It predates me. Nevertheless, when I got there, the gentleman who had helped funnel a lot of those jobs, a gentleman named Bill Shannon, he's unfortunately long gone now, Bill got drafted into the United States Army. And he turned to me and he said, how would you like to do these jobs? So I got the chance to work at Madison Square Garden. I got the chance to work at the New York Jets. And most importantly, I got the chance to work for the New York Skyliners, a long forgotten team in the United Soccer Association that was owned by Madison Square Garden. And that was my my first real involvement behind a so-called administrative uh, desk. I've been going to games in New York and in Connecticut and so forth for years and years with my family. But the Skyliners experience in 1967 is where it all started. And that led to the Cosmos and on through World Cups and um, half the stuff I've probably forgotten by now. Okay, so just a quick side note. It must have been a, a, one of your kids that went to Michigan then, right? And what's your, what's your uh, fascination my, with the Maize and Blue? Uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter went to, went to Michigan. There you go, okay. And uh, we had the opportunity several times while she was there to uh, sit in the student section um, 
at the at the at the big house, and uh, I still uh, still get a, a a fairly decent free zone uh, when the uh, when the fight song is played. But I got to give equal time. My other daughter went to Wisconsin, so there's okay. a little bit of an intra-family now and there then as go. to as to you know do you do you want the fifth quarter uh, band and the Budweiser anthem, or do you want or do you want Maize and Blue? So. I love that both those cities, Madison and Ann Arbor, actually have grown to love them. Indeed. All right, let's go back to the Cosmos though, because essentially you were the PR director, right, for the New York Cosmos. Are you kidding me, Beckenbauer? Pele keep going with those names and what was that like and how was the interaction you know where they you know Lexi Lawless was just here right and he's so forthcoming so giving you know tell us all about it it's pretty awesome Carlos Alberto Bogachevich Canalia uh, Naskins Tony Field Terry Garbutt um, Keith Eddy, Gordon Bradley, Clive Toy. You can go on forever. These Every name I've just mentioned is of some significance in the history of the game. Did I mention Carlos Alberto? <laughs> if I already did, I should mention him twice, the, the late Carlos Alberto. Um, what a time. That's all I can tell you. What a time. Um, we bonded as a group like I've never experienced before. I'd worked for the New York Jets for seven years during the Joe Namath era. Uh, and uh, those are wonderful memories, too. But I got to the Cosmos. Here's Pele. Then the, then comes Canalia. Then comes Beckenbauer. Then comes Carlos Alberto. And pretty soon you're sitting on top of what is nowadays called a World Eleven or, you know, a, a World Select. Right. It was the Cosmos. And we, we got along well. We played hard. We partied hard. Uh, there's some, a couple of books out about the Cosmos, so uh, mm-hmm. people can go check that further if they'd like. Um, Pelé, in particular, was, still is, a very, very special person. I know that, that sounds like a cliche when you talk about somebody like that. I've never, I've had the opportunity to work with many famous athletes in my life, from Muhammad Ali on down through Cruyff and, and at World Cups and so forth. Um, He's number one in terms of his understanding of what was needed to be done. He did come to this country to help grow the game. He did not hide himself behind a desk. He never said no unless his schedule wouldn't permit it. He was the type of guy. We had a meeting. I was the PR director for the Cosmos. Um, We would have a meeting twice a week. I would come in with a list of here's all the people who've called who want to talk to you or want something out of you. And uh, we'd go down the list, we'd prioritize, and he would do every single one that he possibly could. That's that's unique. And I'm not sure that that's still the equation with the world-class athlete nowadays. He wanted to be with people. He wanted to sign the autographs. He wanted to sign his jerseys. A lot of times, the problem with Pelé was getting him to leave, to, to move on, to, to keep him on his schedule or to get him out of out of situations because he did he did cause uh, he caused a, a maelstrom yeah, wherever, wherever he, we he, went he, Crow- crowds we, airports everybody knew this guy right he's your modern day Ronaldo or David Beckham or whatever right I mean it was that kind of attention Ab- absolutely uh, we we were unable after a period of time to go in and out the front doors of hotels we would bring at least him in a back door. Most often when we would go into a city, we'd have to do a Pele press conference because there was just so much demand, the only way to satisfy it, and to keep the team together. To keep the, we were there to play a soccer game, 
Number one with Gordon Bradley and the Cosmos ownership, Warner Communications, was that we win soccer games. So we had to manage this other stuff. Um, we would have to do a press conference, but usually that required a lot of planning because we'd have to bring Palais in through, a, in through a kitchen, through a back door, onto a dais directly in the same way out. Not because he was special, not because we thought we were really something big, but just to keep a, a calm and uh, level atmosphere in the room. He created excitement on the streets and in the crowds like I have never seen before. And I've been around a lot of, lot of big-time events, and you just don't, you, you don't always see that. To this day, he's still magic. Yeah. He's still magical. Yeah, to this day, people get excited even when he every once in a while participates with the United Soccer Coaches Convention. I mean, he, he was just he was just in Sao Paulo a couple of weeks ago. I was talking to his manager, and they had a they had a tough time. He he hasn't played a game for forty years, right? Nearly forty one years now. He hasn't played a competitive game, yeah. but he's still Pele at the Sao Paulo airport. He can't go from the door to the to to the boarding gate without being without being stopped, and and that's not a testament to just him as a football player it's to him as a man because oh, he he is he is uh, the only one i've ever met he's that special we're here with jim trecker my mind the number one publicist for soccer in this country jim what do you remember about the doors closing on that league it was a fairly dark time let's let's look at it in a fairly long arc the 70s when the NESL was extremely young, um, were a challenging time. Uh, there are stories, of, and they're true, of course, of sellouts at Giant Stadium and Pele and the names we've mentioned. It wasn't always like that. In fact, for much of the time, most of the time, it wasn't like that. There were a lot of days at, at, uh, at uh, Hofstra. There were a lot of days at Yankee Stadium where the Cosmos played. There were a lot of days at Giant Stadium where we didn't have big crowds. There, a press box wasn't full. Nobody was covering on TV. Um, then there was, there was a big bump in the middle and the late 70s, the Cosmos, Pelé, and so forth, and soccer really did take off. Um, I, I would, there's so many theories. Everybody's got one. They're all a dime a dozen. My, my feeling is that the league probably tried to expand a little too fast without making sure that the financial underpinnings we're solid enough to, to go from 18 to 24 teams. Not everybody believes that opinion, but uh, that, that's one of my contributing factors to what happened. Pele retired. Uh, that took, a, that took a, 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 a lot of uh, visibility away right away. And the, the, the NASL began to crumble a little bit. At the same time, we have to remember that the U.S. Soccer Federation did not have really, well, not really, they did not have a full-time professional national team program. It was very ad hoc. They played the World Cup qualifiers. They played Olympic qualifiers. Didn't qualify for any of those events and, and so forth. So we, did, we, we didn't have the youth explosion. Right. So when the NASL began to totter, uh, the landscape really didn't have much to fall back on. And the 80s became a bit of a dark period, except for one thing which I don't think was fully appreciated until a little bit later, and that's the NASL started a youth boom in this country, which continues to this day, of people playing the game. 
that in the 80s, though, that youth, th those were truly youth still in the 80s. And so that gave a period of time when there, the kids were playing, but there wasn't much for mom or dad or the kids to look at. We had no league. We didn't qualify for the 82 World Cup or the 86 World Cup. So it became a downtime until suddenly that uh, magical moment on July 4th, 1988, when we were awarded the uh, 1994 World Cup. Well, what a great segue, because in my mind, I wanted to transition, because here we are in 2018. The biggest story, of course, is the fact that the USA is not in the World Cup. But from 1950 to 1990, they were not in the World Cup. What do you remember about that time? And maybe you just touched on it as you got to 86 and 82. How close were they? Did you think it was ever going to happen? What do you remember about uh, U.S. soccer and their growth leading up to 90 in this incredible run? But obviously I'm asking about that lead up when we weren't making it. I, I, oddly enough, I think that most people in the country didn't even know that there was such a thing as a World Cup. And I don't mean to be you yeah, know, flippant about it. That makes sense it. to me, yeah. But we didn't qualify for the World Cup? Okay. Uh, you know, that... that it, it wasn't it wasn't a I think you're right thing. about that yeah. it just wasn't a thing that anyone right. was aware of it's it's not widely known but the the first time that every world cup game was broadcast in english in the united states was 1994 wow for all the games in english in the yeah. us so there was a period of time when, when World Cup wasn't that visible. Univi I watched Univision all the time, or I went to, p to pay TV. Their games were on at Madison Square Garden, and they were you know, in theaters and so forth. That's how you got it. So it was an extremely small subset of, uh, of d dedicated, um, slightly insane people like myself who would seek this out. But I don't think that the sports public fully appreciated or realized then we made it in 1990 and we're we're americans there's an american thing well we went to the world cup 94 we're going to go to the world cup because we're hosting it we go to world cups <laughs> this this is what americans do we go to right. world cup now that we've discovered it it's ours right yeah um well we've learned this time around that it's not necessarily that easy i point out that england did not come in 1994 remember japan did not come in 1994. Italy's not in 2018. It's not necessarily a birthright. I, I think in the, in the arc as we go forward, and then we're able to, to look back, say, 10 years down the road, uh, all the heat and fury about the Trinidad thing is probably more of a, a wake-up call, more of a disappointment, but I'd stop short of calling it a tragedy. Okay. A lot of countries don't get there. Should we be there? You're damn right. But, but uh, okay, let's, let's just uh, put, put, put the boots back on it and get it, and get it done again. How do you think the Dutch feel, mm. having, having controlled a substantial amount of the era of the 70s and 80s and then in the early 2000s? I mean, the players they've produced, they're not in the World Cup either. <laughs> right, so well said. And you do such a great job talking about how great these other people are, but Darn it, Jim, you're pretty awesome as well, and everybody gets moved by different moments. I need you to be honest here. In 94, when they said, hey, we need somebody to head up all of the PR for the world's largest sporting event, and they came to you, tell me that moved you to a whole different level. 
it certainly moved me to a whole different level. That's absolutely uh, for sure. I had worked at um, my career had taken me for quite a few years to Madison Square Garden. So I was familiar with the, the hurly-burly <laughs> of many different events, wicked time schedules and so forth, uh, hockey in the afternoon, basketball at night, and, uh, uh, and so forth. So the idea of many moving parts didn't trouble me, and the idea of soccer excited me. So when I was asked if I would help with the bid, I raised my hand rather quickly on that one, and uh, it just it just it just came from from there. Um, the defining moment of my life. I mean, to have an opportunity to do something like that makes you realize how how lucky what the what the what the draw of the cards can be because it was just totally circumstantial. I never sent a resume in. I don't know. Just to, to, somebody was looking out for me because it put me in the spot that 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 was uh, that was really great. The defining moment of your life, and you know, you also had to sit there and deal with young whippersnappers and people that thought they knew what they were doing. Uh, you know, obviously, and like people like me and everything else, and you know, balancing that. And now you've got a perfect seat to see. As you know, we said, Alexi Lawless just left. I mean, you've seen all of these people morph into being a part of the footprint of U.S. soccer. How's that make you feel? I got to. I got to tell you, it makes me feel actually pretty, pretty good. Um, I've only. I've been a backstage player. I mean, there've been days when I'm on a podium. There's been days when I've been on television and stuff. But I'm a backstage guy, back of the house, uh, administrative guy. Uh, not famous. My job was not to get my name in the paper. Is to get your name in the paper. Um, but there's a there's a, there is a sense of satisfaction as I look back now and then. There's there's a, a lot of people out in the sports industry who I had some hand uh, with working with, and I've always said people worked with me, people never worked for me. Um, and, and I, it, it, it makes me feel real, real good to see that there's people such as yourself. Uh, there's a fellow, John Griffin, worked for me for years at World Cup. He went to NASCAR and IndyCar racing and stuff. There have been some, some nice careers. I, I feel good when I see that. It's not about me, but I'm thinking, boy, this is great. I was surrounded by good people because they've gone on to even better things. Yeah, I was able to talk to Eva Huffman not that long ago, and she brought a I got to find her. her face. Yeah, I was out, you know, she's got beautiful kids and it was so much fun going down memory lane, and we were able to talk about you and, and uh, you know, what a great leader you were. And uh, like you said, in the back of the house type of way, that was great. I mean, Jim, final thing here is you think about uh, the stadium in Atlanta. We were just talking to Lexi about LAFC Stadium, a little bit smaller but dynamic, and it's going to be incredible. I mean, make no mistake, right, soccer at the highest level is here to stay now, right? I mean, it's just incredible 20 plus years now with major league soccer with sold out stadiums it's you know not all of them right not all of them but sold out stadiums are happening quite a bit oh it, it it's here to stay there's no it, that's not even totally worth talking about it yeah. it's here to stay um it is an american game it is a game in america and it is on the radar with all of the so-called big sports. It is a big sport. It has its own niche. It has its own marketplace. In many, many years ago, years ago, uh, decades ago, Phil Woosnam, the late commissioner of the NASL, used to tell people, bloody hell, we're going to be bigger than the NFL. And I always cringed at that because we don't have to be. We don't have to do anything with the NFL. 
Soccer is soccer. The fact that MLS has been around now for more than two decades. It's stable. It's solid. It's expanding. The national team program is terrific. Let's put the Trinidad thing aside. The national team program is good. The youth programs. We are here, and we are going to take a fair place uh, on the sports scene in America. And we don't have to do any more than that. Finally, Jim, you're here at the United soccer coaches convention and formerly the NSCAA and it just feels like big small mom and pop sizzle of major league soccer there's no better entity to unify every a bit of the alphabet soup of soccer forever than the United Soccer Coaches. If, if you want to learn about or be part of soccer this uh, is where you have to be the United Soccer uh, coaches convention. I'm still having trouble. It rolls off my tongue as NSCAA. I apologize, uh, Lynn Burling. Sorry about that. Uh, the, every, every, everybody is here, from Sunil Gulati and all the candidates who are going to succeed him, down to every vendor, as you say, every mom and pop. Uh, it is the unifying force uh, of the game. And these coaches go back. Let's remember, these coaches go back and deal with I'll just start with dozens. Many of them perhaps deal with hundreds. Some people probably deal with thousands of kids or youth. The impact of the takeaway from this thing is unparalleled. I don't know of anything else like it uh, in, a, in a single sport situation. Finally, Jim, I know you're, like you said, back at stage, but I can't let you go without plugging what's going on with the National Soccer Hall of Fame. As you said, you're the archivist and historian. What can you tell us about uh, where we are with the National Soccer Hall of Fame? Come on down on October 20th on the grand opening, and I guarantee you a wow factor. Guaranteed wow factor. It won't be a museum in the sense that you might think of that word or see how that word might be used in a dictionary. It's going to be the best technology available. And I don't mean state-of-the-art. I mean whatever the next phrase is up from that. Uh, it's being built in Frisco, Texas, as part of the FC Dallas Stadium renovations. So it's the only Hall of Fame of a, of a full sport that's actually in a soccer facility, which makes it unique. It's going to be touchscreen. It's going to be virtual reality. It's going to be facial recognition. There will be something for everybody from people to my age who kind of like looking at things in, uh, in window displays to, uh, to the, the newcomer to soccer who will be able to walk up and take a penalty kick against a virtual goalie. A very, very active place. But it's, it's going to tell the history from the 19th century on up to right then and there uh, in October of, of uh, 2018. We will know, uh, hopefully there will be a, a World Cup uh, bid thing to talk about then and so forth. But uh, it's, um, it's 9,000 square feet of, uh, of absolute activity and fun and visual, very, very visual. Uh, there won't be that much in the way to look at in old, dusty museum cases. But when you go in, your, your jaw will drop and you will be involved in the game. From the minute you walk in, you're going to have an experience. That's how. Where can people learn more about the National Soccer Hall of Fame? It has a website, the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Um, there's also links off the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, pages. 
uh, and through fcdallas.com, uh, I think it is, fcdallas.com. Uh, it's a big undertaking. The Hunt family of Dallas has just been fantastic in, 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 in helping fund this thing and so supportive in, in how we tell the story of soccer. We, we've got a, a pro- program from Yale versus Eaton in 1873, a game probably nobody's heard about, but you come to the Soccer Hall of Fame and I'll make sure the little placard that you read tells you about it because you got to know. And that's the sort of thing we're going to have there. Incredible. Jim Trecker, I told you last year when I saw you that we would have a good time if we could finally do this. I had a fantastic time. I hope you did. It was so fun to hear your story and what you've done for soccer in this country. Thank you, by the way first off and then thank you for being with me my pleasure anytime i can talk about soccer i'm there jim trucker this is the united soccer coaches podcast and soccer america's mike Waitola is up next looking for ways to improve your training sessions quick goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals seating field and training equipment for over 30 years from backyards to the world's greatest pitches quick goal has products essential for every level of the game as an official partner to the united soccer coaches and technical partner to u.s soccer quick goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs now once again here's our host Dean Linky. Back with you, United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Dean Linky, delighted to be with Mike Waitola. 30 years at Soccer America, the executive editor. Man, Mike, uh, you know, 92 Olympics, 94 World Cup. Uh, that's how far we go back. But you started working at Soccer America when you were still in high school. I was still in college, actually. Okay. Yeah, I was still in college. I was finishing up at Cal Berkeley and... Uh, Started freelancing for them and uh, ended up with an internship and uh, next thing you know, a promotion to editor. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it seems like a long time, but things have changed so much and, uh, and generally have just progressed. So, you know, I, I didn't realize it was that long until we just did the math on it. Incredible. And you know what? Like you said, you might be the only person in America that's kept the same job the entire time. But that's because you're around good people. You know, Paul Kennedy, Ridge Mahoney. I mean, all you guys have been there forever. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, we, we, we try and get, uh, obviously, uh, some new blood in once in a while, get, get, get younger perspectives and everything. But, yeah, we do have, a, I think, in a positive way, um, that sort of uh, history, especially in these days, um, where I think it's been more important than ever to look back on the last 30 years, even 40 years, um, when you make, um, when, you, when you analyze or when you reevaluate what's going on, I think it's good to have a historical perspective. Well, it is, especially now today. I mean, it's crazy. Are you kidding me? You know, eight candidates, nine, I don't know how many are running for president of U.S. soccer. I mean, Sunil stepping down. From your point of view, as an established journalist, one of the most respected soccer journalists in the country, I mean, what is your take on this presidential campaign? I I say, I think, uh, the one thing I don't like is the acrimony. Um, I think historically in the American soccer community, there's been a sense of we're all in this together. Uh, there's been disagreements and there's been different views of how to go about it. Um, but I don't ever remember when it was like this, where because someone maybe saw things in a different way that, you know, they're idiots and they get hammered on Facebook, on, you know, Twitter or whatever. And, and um, I, I, I think we, I, I wish that w- it hadn't gotten so out of control, you know, that we, 
you know, respect people that we disagree with. And, and, and remember, and even if we, if we disagree with someone, is to look at their attributes and, and what they did do that, um, you know, that helped the game in whatever ways and, and in some ways in very important ways. Just because we didn't qualify for the World Cup and just because things aren't perfect uh, doesn't mean that there's been absolutely tremendous progress, which obviously you know because you've been around as long as I have. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah. That's so well said. I love that take as well. And, you know, obviously your job is to report accurately. I imagine every once in a while it's also your job to prognosticate from where you sit. Who do you think will win the presidential race? You know, I really don't know. Um, I think what's interesting is that um, a lot of people who are chiming, you know, a lot of people who are being campaigned to um, aren't voting. Um, you know, the, the vote for the for the president is uh, kind of complicated. You've got a different factions. It's not necessarily a bad system. You know, you have representation from the youth, from the adult amateurs, from the pros, um, and from other, you know, from the athletes, obviously. Um, so it's hard to it's hard to uh, it's hard to project. You know, and I certainly don't want to um, make a prediction that's going to come back and bite me. But um, you know, one thing I've got to say is that being at this convention has been has been very good because people here are face to face. And I think when that happens, there's, they're, more, they're more civil and, and have more respect for other people's opinion. You know. You've been around some amazing events, and this might be tough for you, but to, you know, I'm going to start to ask you about the, your greatest memories because you, know, you were there uh, when the women won the World Cup, probably were there in China, or somebody was from Soccer America when they won the first World Cup. 94 came around. Who could forget the incredible run where a handball from Germany yeah. and the USA. That, I mean, that's the amazing thing, too. People say, like you said, the U.S. has gone backward. I mean, a handball away from the mm -hmm. Final Four of the World Cup, right? They were that close. What are some of your top memories uh, covering soccer in this country? My first big trip was in 1989 to Saudi Arabia for the Under-20 World Cup. Bob Gansler was coach. Casey Keller was the goalkeeper. You had Chris Henderson on the team. and You had uh, Steve Snow. And the USA finished uh, fourth at the Under-20 World Cup, and that was uh, just a really a tremendous experience besides you know being in that being in, the, in a country in a different country like that um seeing a young talent um I, I i would say that's way up there i think the 96 uh, olympics on both the men's and the women's side was tremendous and that was a tournament that wasn't covered that heavily um it didn't get televised the way it should have been um the women won it um the men uh, didn't didn't progress, but did very well with the Claudio Reyna team. Alexi Laos was on the team. Bruce Arena was coach. You know, you had giant crowds. Um, you know, those are the ones I, I mentioned. Obviously, you know, going to the World Cup in Brazil and going to the World Cup in Germany and France and Italy. You know, I mean, whoa. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me. I'm a lucky yeah. guy. <laughs> I know you are, right? It's incredible because you love the sport and you love to travel and be a part of it as well and then you know you think about it uh, back uh, in 94 we didn't have a pro league and mm. they were using the world cup to launch the pro league and early on i think uh, all of us will admit that maybe we didn't know what we were doing but it's clear now that people know what they're doing major league soccer where it stands your thoughts on that it's pretty impressive it is i mean you know they're averaging over twenty thousand a game um and, and you have you have soccer fans who are just simply soccer fans, um, which is a great thing. You know, historically, especially if you look at from the some, from the Soccer America magazine, SoccerAmerica.com perspective, um, the people that were very that were soccer fans had, tended to be very involved in 
a lot of facets of soccer. They might be coaching and they might like this team. Or, uh, and now you have, you know, I remember the, the example I would usually use is, a, you know, years ago if I was at a party or something and I said I worked for, I was a journalist for Soccer America, and they would, the answer would usually be, oh, my kids play soccer. They love it. You say that now, they might say, what do you think about Manchester City? You know, what do you, it's just, uh, right. you know, the, 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 and I've always believed, even when MLS started, that we had enough fans. You know, it wasn't about um, creating new fans. It was about uh, getting fans to support the pro league. Um, but now it's just, uh, you know, considering how big of a country uh, we are, it might not be the number one sport, but we have more soccer fans than most countries do. All right, that's so well said. You started uh, when we first came on, particularly as I asked you about the U.S. soccer presidential races. You talked about, uh, yeah, there used to be people that, you know, would disagree, uh, but they still got along. I mean, one true unifier, which... Uh, kind of makes sense and you know Lynn Berlin Manuel so well that the name is now United Soccer Coaches it seems like no matter what's going on in soccer at any time over that entire time you've been in Soccer America and long before you were it feels like the United Soccer Coaches truly are that big unifier I think so I think that's true uh, and I was trying to figure out how many of these conventions I've gone to the first one I think was in 88 in Washington uh, I remember Paul Breitner, the German World Cup winner, was there for Adidas or something, and I, uh, you know, interviewed him and uh, you know met people fr from from the beginning. And then year after year, um, you would run into people that maybe you had talked to on the phone but never met face to face, or uh, you know, you read about or you knew about, or you wrote about. Um, and once a year, you know, you see them, and it's it is tremendous, and it brings people together from the different levels of soccer. It is really, it is. I mean, I, like I said, it is so. You know, before I came here. You know, you go through that phase, like, God, you know, you go on Twitter and you say, what? come on, you know, be reasonable. And you come here and you do feel a lot better about it because you see people that care about the game. And, um, you know, it is, a, it is a special event. It is. Well, and one thing that the United Soccer Coaches has always done is they recognize people that have contributed in big ways, small ways, durability and everything else. And Mike... Tonight, and this will obviously be played later, but uh, you're going to get a special award as part of the honors banquet. That's got to be a pretty awesome feeling. It is. It is. It is very much so. Um, in particular, I think I, you know, Clay Burling, who was the founder of of, um, of Soccer America, uh, and who died um, recently, um, he's the first person I thought of, um, and. You know, it's the kind of thing where I, he's the one, the first person I would think, because he created Soccer America. Um, but also because um, Clay was such an amazing person when it came to the way that he looked at the world. It didn't matter what was going on, you know, what setbacks there were. He was always positive and always supportive. Um, you know, in a way that maybe, you know, I don't necessarily look at the world that way. I sometimes uh, tend to be maybe skeptical about if something's going to turn out well or not. And to have someone like Clay Burling, to have had him in our game for so long, um, was so important for the game. And I also believe, uh, you know, did not only affect me, but I think affected very, very, very many people. Yeah. Mike Watella is going to be recognized tonight at the United Soccer Coaches Honors Banquet. Uh, Moving forward, Mike, what are some uh, key stories you're looking to follow here as uh, we march down the road and continue to see great progress for soccer in this country? Well, you know, obviously the way that the that youth soccer has, is evolving and the challenges that it has is something that, you know, I always pay close attention to and try and get as much input in as well. You know, the U.S. Soccer Federation launched a, a 
a girls' development academy. It had launched one for the boys. Um, I think there's a lot of positive. I think there's a lot of challenges that it adds to how the environment works. Um, you know, soccer is, uh, you know, anything in the United States is a business. Uh, that's the way things are. And I think that's something that always has to be taken a look at is how that affects the game. Um, otherwise, the other thing I always think is very interesting, you know, I mean, you have the women who are getting closer to the next World Cup. Um, young talent is always fun to follow, uh, whether it's Christian Pulisic or Weston McKinney or whether it's Mallory Pugh on the girls' side and the other the girls that are now getting ready for the U-20 World Cup. They're qualifying just starting. You've got the U-17s that are coming around. I mean, that's the thing about soccer. There never are stops. so many yeah. things. There are so yeah. many things. There's no off-season. Right. You know. Yeah, it never stops. Last thing, and uh, this will be tough, but have fun with it And because I'll do it in the sense of not just on the field, but you know, everything, uh, off the field, on the field, their interview skills, your favorite all-time U.S. women's player and your favorite all-time U.S. men's player. Again, not just for what they did, whether they scored goals or, or anything else. Mike, you know exactly what I'm asking. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, you know, I have to do one. Um, that is such a tough question. You know, I... I go back and I think of the early days like uh, when the U.S. qualified for the World Cup for the first time in 40 years in 1990 and you had Tab Ramos on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a special player. A player that if you didn't know anything about soccer, uh, you, you, could, you would enjoy watching him play. Um, so I'll, I'll go with Tab. Um, and I apologize to all the other wonderful <laughs> players. Um, and, um, you know, on the women's side, it's... Part of me is looking forward to, uh, you know, looking at a player like Mallory Pugh. Um, and you look back, then, because of the history part of it and who she was at the time and what she did was Mia Hamm. I, uh, so my daughter, when she was about five or six, I got her the little Mia Hamm, the Mia Hamm children's book. I think it was something like There's No I in Team. And at the back of it, they had, it was an illustrated book, but at the back they had a picture of her winning the gold medal. Um, in the 96 uh, Olympics, and um, I told my six-year-old daughter, I said, you know, I was there, I, you know, and she goes, do you know her? And I go, well, you know, I've talked to her and stuff, and she's like, really? And she was like the proudest thing she ever had about her father. Right. And it was so interesting because I, she was six. Yeah. So how did that happen? Somehow yeah. Mia Hamm had such an effect on so many girls and boys and everybody else yeah. but it was like I go wow that, there's something special about that player that's awesome yeah. I love that yeah. Mike you're a great storyteller that's why you're great at what you do <laughs> thanks for being on the program and congratulations on your well-deserved award from the United Soccer Coaches great to see you Mike thank you so much it was a pleasure it was indeed a pleasure spending time with Mike Baitola and Jim Trecker at the United Soccer Coaches Convention a few weeks ago in Philadelphia. We'll be back in two weeks with another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. By being a member of the United Soccer Coaches, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find coaches who are passionate about bettering themselves and their players. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org to find out more. Now, once again, here's our host, Dean Linky.